we need to talk about ideas, good ones and bad ones. We need to learn stuff about the world. We need an honest, intelligent, thought-provoking, and entertaining review of what the hell happened on this planet in the last seven days. We need to sit back and listen to the Iron Fist and the Velvet Glove. Welcome back, dear listener. This is episode 130 of the Iron Fist Velvet Glove podcast. With me tonight is Scott, the Velvet Glove. How are you, Scott? You're really good. Thanks, Trevor. How's yourself? Very good. And for the first time in 2018, the 12th man, Paul. Hi, uh, Fist. Hi, Glove. How are you? Really well, thanks, Paul. Glad to be back with you guys. Mm. Earlier on, earlier on, um, Scott Paul was complaining about his nickname, the Twelfth Man, because he said <laughs> he hates cricket, but he really likes tennis, and he was thinking, well, what's the sort of tennis alternative to the Twelfth Man? And we agreed that the the closest thing would be the qualifier, but I pointed out to him that people don't get to choose their nicknames. And, it's, and they're quite often nicknames are chosen because people don't like them. So, okay. so you're stuck with it. I'll man. have to learn to live with it. <laughs> you will. Dear listener, lots of stuff to talk about. Um, and we're going to kick off with Australia Day coming up. And the Greens have come out and said that uh, high on their agenda is changing the, the date that we celebrate Australia Day. They want to move it somewhere else. Gentlemen, thoughts? I can understand the reasons behind moving the National Day from the 26th of January. However, it is hard to argue with that lady whose uh, name escapes me. She's an Aboriginal lady from the Northern Territory who said that this is just symbolism, it won't achieve anything and there are bigger fish to fry in Aboriginal affairs. I think she's bang on the money there. There are much bigger fish to fry than this. However, I can understand where people are coming from. I don't necessarily, you know, I can understand that you've got that people would want to move it to a different date. My feeling on this is that if you're going to say, well, we should move the date, I think you should be arguing which date it should be moved to. So I do think the Greens have to come up with an alternative date that they could then push and argue for being national date. That's a good point. If you're going to want it shifted, you've got to nominate what the alternative is. I'd love to well, ask Richard Di Natale what his choice of date would be. What um, do you think he would yeah. suggest? I know, the day the Greens party was founded. <laughs> <laughs> Look, it's going to be easy down the track. One day we'll be a republic, and whenever that happens, that'll be Australia Day. That'll be a better choice, yeah, in a sense. That'll be, you know, that'll be offensive to monarchists, mm. but um, that'll be the date we choose. So then we'll have a, a ground roots protest movement among monarchists to change the date, do you think? Well, that it's not truly Australia Day because it doesn't recognise, you know... Doesn't... Cause, because it... It, uh, it celebrates the denial of the monarchy. It denies our history. Yeah. <laughs> that could be it. I've said this before on the podcast several times. Um, you know, given that that's the most likely result, uh, all I want is that the Republic occur sometime in the second part of the year so that our public holidays are spaced out better than what they are at the moment. So, Indeed. Yeah, so there we go. 
uh, somewhere around the beginning, you know, 1st of October would yeah. be good. Somewhere around there. Because by that time of the it's year, we're crying out for a public holiday and uh, <laughs> we're short of them. Indeed. Mm. So, look, uh, my sort of thoughts on the matter are that this is a dangerous thing for the Greens to be talking about and they don't recognise it in that they're falling into the trap that the American Democrats have fallen into and and that is in catering to the sort of um, elitist um, constituency and ignoring the base of the working class, I think. I think they're starting to paint... Well, you know, uh, I've got an article here. This one's called... um, uh, It's about a book written by a lady called... uh, uh, Joan C. Williams, I think was her name. And, uh, yeah, Joan C. Williams. White Working Class, Overcoming Class Cluelessness in America. She's written a book. The theory of it is that um, basically the Democrats and the Hillary campaign were just clueless when it came to the class issues in America. And I'll, I'll quote a bit from this article. Um, when I hear some segment of white voters, when I hear some segment of white voters being maligned as clueless, my first thought runs to backers of Donald Trump, those people who actually believe he intended to help the working class. Author Jane C. Williams sees the opposite. Uh, It is college-educated white liberals who are the clueless ones. Her new book calls them the professional managerial elite. And um, she lambasts that group as smug and condescending towards whites without college degrees, which she says drives the latter to politicians like Trump. Apparently, here's a statistic, whites without a college education constituted 45% of voters uh, in the 2016 election, or 2017 election, 16, Um, and favoured Trump um, to Clinton by a 31 percentage point margin. So those without a college education were way in favour of Trump. She says, during an era when wealthy white Americans have learned to sympathetically imagine the lives of the poor people of colour and LGBTQ people, the white working class has been insulted or ignored. Um, She wasn't surprised when Trump won. She says Democrats in general, Hillary Clinton in particular, are really clueless about social class uh, and send very old-fashioned snobbish messages about people of a different class. That sort of idea, I think, is part of the problem of that the Greens will always have, that the sort of things like this issue of Australia Day and putting that up front as a big one for them are just not things that are going to resonate with the working class if, if they want to get a vote. No, I so agree. that sort of thing is just going to turn people away from and voting for... <coughs> Do you know Greens. Brendan O'Neill, uh, the, um, the founder or one of the key people at uh, Spiked Online? He's uh, a number of times made the point that um, you know young sort of liberal-minded people who see themselves as progressives uh, get get caught up in the, you know identity politics and and things like that. And he said it's it's 
it's so far removed from where the real uh, struggle in, in society is, which is mm. historically a class, a class battle. Mm. And he says it's just a big distraction, all this identity politics taking, in, in a similar way, taking people's attention away from what are the truly uh, fundamental divides in society, which are class. And Warren Buffett f- famously said, there is a class war, and guess what? We're winning it. We meaning we the rich. Mm. Yeah. Mm. So mm. in America, it's, it's obvious that the Democrats have abandoned the working class mm. and have gone for elitist sort of ideals. Yeah, in favour of uh, fashionable, yeah. uh, what they see as sort of progressive, for want of a better term, uh, causes. Mm. Mm. In Australia, the Labor Party hasn't quite fallen into the trap yet, but they're heading in that direction. They're definitely heading in that direction. Yeah, yeah. So, um, uh, I would argue that the unions, the... The, the stranglehold the unions have on that party would keep that under control, though. You would think so, except for our discussions about the shoppies union of late. Well, that's true, yeah. Yeah, yeah. that's true, yeah. Yeah, mm. so, um, so not as bad... But the shoppies union is only one union. Yes. And it's a, um, it's a fairly shocking union, but it is a union. Yeah. But then there was another case where Bill Shorten was sort of found out being involved in a in a negotiation that didn't look all that attractive for the members that he was looking for at that stage. So, you know, they haven't reached that point yet, but they're on the track. So, I think Bill Shorten's your classic weather vane politician, to mm, be honest. Mm, mm. So, um, so anyway, uh, this, of course, leads on to all sorts of talk about Aboriginal issues with Australia Day and... I came across a really interesting letter, well, uh, an article, which is an open letter to Stan Grant from a guy called Samuel Medici. And uh, I'll read bits of it here because it's it's a good one, I think. This is um, from 6th of January of this year. Dear Stan, I'm an Australian of migrant background and mixed ethnicity. I grew up in largely ethnic communities in Melbourne's North and have lived in Darwin and Townsville as well. I have observed you in the media making various statements which I personally take issue with, in particular the divisive nature of your rhetoric and the monopoly on human suffering you seem to claim for your people. No one in this nation denies the horrors that the Indigenous people suffered at the hands of European colonists, nor does anyone expect you to not feel internally scarred by these events. The most important factor in a healing process is moving forward. Many of us in the migrant community understand things of this nature and I would like to share some with you. He says, uh, first I must address your them and us rhetoric. Um, Because Stan Grant has used a phrase such as, he's quoted as saying, for so many of my people, Aboriginal people, there is a deep, deep wound that comes from the time of dispossession. And this guy makes the point, uh, if, if the tribalistic sentiments were not bad enough, you feel the need to foster guilt and resentment among people who cannot change the past, as if this will somehow change the present circumstances of Indigenous Australians. He says, Stan, I implore you, you are sowing the seeds of discontent in a nation that does not need them to see them flourish. Secondly... Uh, when you talk about someone's suffering with this, was the scaffolding on which you built your prosperity, um, he says that um, 
you know, many migrants have suffered, and he talks about the Vietnamese, the Lebanese and the Jewish community. So he says, you know, not all, you know, plenty of us have suffered, but we're not hanging on to that suffering as a reason to complain. Um, and we've got those scars, he said. Um, this is the part I really like. Nothing can be done about our past, Dan, and it is not appropriate to judge a nation by its past sins. Every civilization has committed crimes against humanity at some point in its history. A far more accurate way of judging a society is by which crimes and bad practices it has abandoned. Reform and progression are what makes a society great. I think that's a really key idea, actually, that uh, all sorts of societies have committed all sorts of atrocities. What have you done about them is the question. And Australia's done a lot to redress inequalities and, and pouring money into all sorts of programs, trying to find solutions. Absolutely. And, and we've seen for decades the government, um, you know, putting into place programs to encourage in, Indigenous students to not only finish high school but to go to university to get, become university qualified... Uh, such Indigenous students do get extra government-funded help at university. I even, when I was a student, had, I had a job for a little while as a tutor for an Aboriginal student to help her, you know, uh, improve her language skills. And, um, you know, they, they get things given to them that are not offered to other students... I, I'm not saying they shouldn't, but um, yeah, we, we, you know, we can't say that the, the Australian government and the Australian people haven't made progress on these issues. Mm. I know when my my parents' generation, you know, they grew up in a country town in New South Wales, and in those days, Aboriginal people did, just didn't live in the town. They lived in little uh, shanties on the outskirts of country towns. You know, right. It's, a lot has changed, you know, mm. even though uh, I'm not denying there, there are uh, instances of racism that they would experience, mm. we have made progress. And I think if you're asked your average Australian, do you, you know, dislike people of different ethnicity or skin colour, for, you know, for what it's worth, I don't think most Australians really care anymore, do you? No, I don't think they do. No, and it's certainly illegal institutionally mm. to discriminate against Aboriginal people or anybody of different ethnicity. Mm. And for all the talk of uh, institutionalised racism that we that we hear about from certain commentators, mm. I have trouble seeing it myself. Mm. Do you do you see it? You know, personally, I think it's it's a function of remote communities. Uh, you know, I just think if you uh, remote communities where there's nothing productive mm. to do, is just naturally going to cause a dysfunctional society. Indeed. So, and they may interpret that as institutional racism, whereas yes. in fact it's just a product of social dysfunction. Yes. As you say. Yeah, a product of dysfunctional communities, which are such because of where they are. Mm. Mm. So that was a good article. Excellent. Uh, um, and, and very well worded, wasn't it? Very, and very balanced and um, well weighted in terms of the emotional impact. Yeah. Now, at the end of it, he says that his sentiments are firmly aligned with those of Morgan Freeman and 
what I'm going to do is play a little clip from the interview that Morgan Freeman did that he's talking about here. Black History Month you find ridiculous. Why? You're going to relegate my history to a month? Oh, come well, on. What do you do with yours? What, which month is White History Month? No, well, no, no, come on, tell me. Well, uh, I'm Jewish. Okay, which I'm month sure. is Jewish History Month? Uh, there isn't one. Oh, oh, why not? Yeah. Do you want one? No, no, no. I, 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 I don't either. I don't want a Black History Month. Black history is American history. How are we going to get rid of racism? Until... Stop talking about it. I'm going to stop calling you a white man. Yeah. And I'm going to ask you to stop calling me a black man. I know you as Mike Wallace. You know me as Morgan Freeman. I love it. Just stop talking about yeah. our differences and concentrate on what we have in common. Yeah, I think that it seems very simplistic, but it is it is the right way forward. I do think that we have to, I do think we have to stop concentrating on what makes us different and concentrate on what makes us the same. When you watch the you know, interview, um, sorry, Scott, when you watch the interview on YouTube, the the interviewer is sort of uncomfortable when Freeman says, uh, "Which month is White History Month? Come on, tell me." And he tries to dodge the question by saying, uh, well, I'm Jewish, as if I'm not white sort of thing, so yeah. I don't have to answer the question. And Freeman yeah. doesn't let him go. He nails him and says, okay, which month is Jewish History Month? Yeah. I've long objected to this notion that there are white people and others. You know, mm. There are white people and coloured people. It's the most absurd division of humanity. Yeah. You know? Because what constitutes whiteness... It's really code for those of European ancestry, and that's all it is, because mm. it, it's got very little to do with skin, skin tone, as we know. Some, some people of European ancestry tan extremely well, mm. and uh, some people of Oriental ancestry uh, hardly tan at all. Yep. Uh, it's just a, an absurd, ridiculous, uh, incredibly simplistic attempt to isolate people of European ancestry as a, as a means of somehow um, categorising them as the, you know, the, the, the inheritors of, of human guilt. You know what I mean? Yeah. But it, it's just encouraging tribalism and groupism. And we, we are evolutionarily designed to break down into groups mm. and to and to divide into us versus them. Absolutely. And we've got to work hard to avoid that. And with people running around all the time saying how different they are and we're a group different to this group and you're a group different to that one, Mm. it doesn't help our cooperation in our society. Not at all. And we know very well that people of a a religious bent um, often use their religion as a marker of um, group loyalty. Uh, We see that, uh, well... I suppose most obviously with mm. Muslims these days, they talk about their Muslim brothers and sisters. And regardless of, of what eth- ethnicity they are, uh, M- Muslim brotherhood and sisterhood seems to uh, be paramount ab- above all other, you know, sort of group considerations or identities. Yeah. yeah. Absolutely. I think you've hit the nail right on the head there, Paul. 
I think we've got to concentrate on those things that, you know, uh, yeah, exactly. And, you know, if you look at the genetics of us all, I forget what the, it's tiny, the difference between myself and uh, an Asian person, for example. It's tiny, the percentage of difference in our genetic code. So, you know, I would have thought. Well, yeah, even better word. It is infinitesimal. You know, it's because tiny. We're anyway. something like ninety-eight percent identical with chimpanzees. Mm. Exactly. Yeah, and you know that two percent makes all the difference. Yeah, I've started reading a book called Sapiens, and it's dealing with the you know history of Homo sapiens, yeah. and basically saying that uh, we coexisted with Neanderthals for I think seventy thousand years, and. Basically, that was during an ice age period, and as soon as things warmed up and we could properly move into their territory, we the did. Neanderthals disappeared. Yeah. And guess who's the most likely uh, culprit for exterminating them? Homo sapiens. So, exactly. Yeah. It would have been us, yeah, for sure. So, yeah. Just if you're looking for something I, to I feel guilty about. I think yeah. it was the white hope Homo sapiens that did it. <laughs> <laughs> anyway... Uh, all very relevant. Martin Luther King um, had his birthday just not so long ago. They have a public holiday in America um, on the Monday nearest that date to celebrate it. Uh, his One of his famous quotes is, I have a dream that my four children will one day live in a nation where they will not be judged by the colour of their skin but by the content of their character. Well, we've got to stop talking about their skin and start talking about the character for that to work. Exactly. Yeah. Mm. Um, oh, I've got an article here by a lady who uh, was a well-known feminist. Uh, her name is Margaret Atwood, and she wrote The Handmaid's Tale. And oh, okay. Uh, she fell out of favour with the sisterhood because she signed a petition... Um, it was in relation to an incident at the University of British Columbia where one of the uh, lecturers was accused of some sort of sexual offence and uh, really the university um, went public very quickly um, and he was forced to sign a confidentiality agreement and then sacked and he went through a public humiliation and a subsequent inquiry found uh, by a judge that after multiple witnesses and interviews there'd been no sexual assault at all. And she was re- signed a petition sort of saying that's a problem, that we've got this sort of witch hunt, if you like, happening um, in our society and we've got the thing with the Me Too sort of stuff happening and it's a tricky one, Twelfth Man and Velvet Glove, because, you know, we've got this movie producer who's, you know, obviously because there's just so many women have uh, come out and said that he's done all sorts of things. Um, But there's no, uh, you know, it hasn't been through any court or anything like that. Um... This feminist in this article is sort of saying that it's a little bit like the Salem witch trials in that once you're accused, you're guilty. And she's just uncomfortable with that because the, it's a real mob turning on people. 
She's not the only one. There were there were articles uh, related to that in uh, Spiked, which right. is one of my favourite online journals. Yeah. And, um, I don't know what to think of it because well, here's my what I'm trying to break it down into is that okay, yes, there's allegations and a mob mentality, and people are accused and uh, without a proper trial, but haven't actually been convicted of a crime or put in the slammer or, you know, yeah. been found guilty of an offence, you know. So it's really, it's a character assassination that's happened, either fairly or unfairly. And part of my thinking is, well, in other forms of endeavour, if your character has been you know, besmirched unfairly, then you sue for defamation. Like, it's open for the Kevin Spaceys of the world and whatever, if they are innocent, to haul an accuser before court and say, you've defamed me, you've ruined my reputation, it's not true, and I want this and in fact, decided our, in court. Our own Geoffrey Rush has done exactly yeah, that. Yeah, good point, actually. He was, he was accused uh, in one of the uh, Australian daily papers. Yes. Uh, no details provided, just an allegation, a loose allegation. Sydney Morning Herald, wasn't it? Perhaps. And uh, yeah. he said, sorry, but um, no, I'm not going to put up with that. And he's suing them. Yes, that's right. So that... It was just one allegation, unsubstantiated, yeah. no details provided. And he said, sorry, yeah. no, I'm not going to put up with that. And there was an actress who was accused of. She was in. The, she she appeared, I think, in Perfect Pitch or something like that. Um, and she was accused not of sexual misconduct, but accused of. Is that the Australian of, of actress? Overstating her age or understating her age or. Uh, who sued a, y- y- yes. a paper and won four point something million dollars? Y- yes. Yeah. Yes. Mm-hmm. So. Rebel somebody, Yeah, Rebel Wilson. Rebel Wilson. Yeah, so if the mob turns, the mob has to be careful Mm. to some extent because an innocent person can get some redress. Now, I know that, you know, it's possible that you can cost you millions if you're a famous movie star and whatever, but, um, yeah, it's... Look, as you say, it's a a tricky area because Mm. none none of us support... Um, people being sexually harassed or molested. Mm. Mm. But um, other people say, well, look, you know, sexuality is an inherent aspect of, of human interaction. Mm. And uh, if, if, if it just becomes trial by media for any kind of, um, in any way, sexually uh, flavoured behaviour then it kind of puts a, a dampener on, on, on normal interaction between people to some degree. Well, well the other... Don't you think that... Um, sorry to cut you yeah. off, but don't you think the um, trial by media part that um, or trial by social media that Paul just brought up, don't you think that's a forerunner to uh, a possible defamation case? Because your Harvey Weinsteins and all the rest of it have had all these accusations hurled at them and they haven't taken any legal action against them. Yes. So that sort of paints them as guilty. Whereas, you're right, Jeffrey Rush was accused and he's turned around and sued them. Mm. So 
I think that um, I think that's where the trial by social media comes in. Is if you throw mud and it sticks, mm. then you're not going to get sued. There've been a couple. If you throw of, mud and it doesn't stick, then you get sued. Yeah. There've been a couple of high-profile cases in Australia recently as well. Um, what's his name? Craig McLaughlin. Craig McLaughlin and the Rocky and, Horror Picture Show. Yeah. 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 And, and and there were so many women who've come forward uh, with regard to him that. It would appear that he has been out of line at least a little bit and probably more than a little bit in terms of taking liberties with other staff members. Yes. Um, and there was the other one, Burke, uh, Don yes, Burke. Don Burke, yes. Uh, and yeah. there were quite a few women came forward with allegations about his uh, lewd and yeah. quite sort of disgusting behaviour, if I can put it that way. Yeah. So I'm, I guess, yeah, I'm OK with how those two have panned out mm. because if those guys wanted to object and say that this is wrong, they, they have a defamation action available to them. And they haven't taken it. And they haven't taken it. So, um, and they're both denied, in fact. They're both denied yes. vehemently that they did anything wrong and yet, yes. as you say, yep. neither of them have taken up the legal option. Yeah. So... So that's the way the system works, and it's mm. hard to think of a better alternative at this stage. But Margaret Atwood does well, I don't make think a, there is a point. Mm. Go ahead, Scott. I was just going to say, I don't think there is a better alternative right now. Mm. You know, we've just got this system that's set up. It's expensive to bring a legal case. There's no doubt about that. However, if you've got nothing to hide and that sort of stuff, then you should be prepared to put your money where your mouth is and sue. Mm. Yeah. Anyway. Yep. Okay. Uh, previous episodes, we've spoken about the Ruddock panel investigating uh, protection <laughs> of religious freedom. And, dear listener, I promised last week that I would prepare a submission um, that um, you could copy and paste bits as you please. And, you know, when you're in high school or at university and you've got an exam to hand in or a paper or something, and the time limit is looming, someone else, and you're thinking to yourself, someone else does it for you. how am I going to get this done? <laughs> and then the teacher says, oh, you know that assignment? I'm going to give a two-week extension. Wow. Well, that's how I feel. Because, <laughs> because the Ruddock panel uh, came out and said, actually, rather than the end of the month, we're going to give you another two weeks. So are so, you asking for an extension? So, um, Well, it's, it's been given without even asking. So... Um, Excellent. So that's the first part. I feel like I've, so dear listener, I haven't done one yet. But uh, got links. We've got links on the website. Uh, mm. Our friends at Freedom for Faith have done their first draft, and there's a link to that there. Mm. It's only 100 pages. <laughs> so, yeah, it, I didn't uh, read it. No, no. <laughs> So it just obviously goes on and on and on. So um, I will get to it. And I kind of think I'd almost like to do a submission that just that just picks apart their submission. That might be a useful thing to do. I'm not sure. So there's a link to that on the website if you want to have a read of their 100-page submission. And the other thing is, um, as Scott was sort of hinting at earlier... Um, when an assignment's due, if somebody else does it for you, that's always a good thing as well. (laughs) 
And our friends Brian Morris and co at the National Secular Lobby have done a 10-page submission. So we've got a link to that as well. So if you're really keen to um, uh, copy... And they're happy for you to copy and paste as well and take bits and pieces Excellent. and do whatever you want to with it. So that's a pretty um, thorough one from the National Secular Lobby. Good on you, Brian. So, dear listener... Um, you could go straight on to the website, find the link, copy and paste bits and and, and put your submission in because we need to. We've discussed it before. Um, and yeah, I've a, started one. It's, I was waiting for the... you to actually finish yours, Trevor. Oh, okay. Sorry. You've started one? I'm sorry. I've started one. It's not very good. But anyway, right. just sort of I'm putting down some stuff on it and that type of thing. And then I was going to hopefully flesh it out with yours and that sort of stuff and then just send it in there. But um, see, we've got an extra couple of weeks. Yeah. Yeah. There's also a link on the Secular Party Facebook page for those who visit mm-hmm. the Secular Party Facebook page. And that's a link to what? A link to a uh, place where they can make a submission. Right, okay, yep. Um, having just glimpsed at the 100-page report and having glimpsed at the 10-page <laughs> report, I get a feeling that these guys on the panel are just going to be... Um, Gaga, or or their underlings will be. Um, Are they expected to read it all? Well, you'd hope so. Um, They'll have a bit of reading to do. But no doubt there are people who are paid to sort of look at the bits and pieces. And digest it for Yeah. Ruddock has come out and says he wants examples. He likes sort of real-life examples of of how... uh, Real-life examples? Yes. This is the same Ruddock who had a conversion experience at a Billy Graham rally, apparently, as a young man. Is that right? I don't know. So he wants real-life examples, does he? Well, well, kind of, if you're going to propose some sort of uh, extra protection for religion, he'd like to see how that applies in relation to a cake maker or a photographer or whatever the issue is. If you're stating a principle, he'd like to see how that would work in practice with an example. I wonder if he, he'll run these examples past his invisible friend upstairs. Uh, yeah, quite possibly he will. But uh, anyway, having just glimpsed at a 100-page report and having glimpsed at a, a 10-page report, and even though I'm interested in the topic, you sort of your eyes sort of glaze over at the thought of it mm. because... They do. Yeah. You know, one of the reasons I quit being a lawyer was I couldn't face another sixty-page commercial lease to read because it's, just, it's painful. You really had to read them all. Oh yeah, you do. Didn't your underlings do no, that for you? No, you have to. Oh, so God. yeah, and it's, um, yeah. Well, in my case, I do anyway. Anyway, I'm. I, I like the idea of something short and sweet, but uh, punchy and. Maybe even with some diagrams, like a flowchart or something that might stand out. How about some um, some memes with uh, yeah. looped sort of funny facial expressions? Well, it's going to be on a written piece of paper, oh, right. so okay. no, I can't do that. Do that. Not, I'm not going to do an interactive video or something like that. So anyway, that's part of the homework, dear listener. Um, gentlemen, I don't know that I sent you this one. Uh, New Zealand has been ahead of the game in a lot of respects in terms of secular ideas um, but um, article here from Catholic News the Catholic Church in New Zealand is disappointed a government inquiry into state abuse of children uh, may not expand to include faith based institutions including itself so 
New Zealand is going to conduct... Why not? Good, good question. They're going to conduct an inquiry into institutional abuse, but only institutions um, run by the government and not faith-based ones. So That's ridiculous. Yeah. It's an inquiry would focus on the state's responsibility. I mean, I know the state institution, that sort of stuff got held up as being bad places too. Yeah. But by and large, the majority of the problems were in the Catholic institutions. Yeah. And even the Catholic Church in New Zealand is saying, you, you need to look at us. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. Isn't that amazing? They're saying, is. but what about us? We abuse too. Yeah. So there you go, Scott. I mean, we've read articles when, when the current Prime Minister got elected, uh, Jacinda Ardern, that seemed very positive, yeah. the sort of outlook for secularism in New Zealand, but crikey, they've missed the boat on that one. Um, so, yeah. Um, that doesn't make any sense whatsoever. It, it really beggars belief, doesn't it? Yeah. Peculiar. Mm. Yeah. Donald Trump, he's, uh, he's, he's just hit the ground running in 2018, made uh, <laughs> statements. <laughs> on, well, it's Donald Trump, language warning, dear listener. No kitties in the car, but, you know, he's referred to... Why, why are we bringing in people from these shithole countries, he said. And um, Democrats who are at the meeting are saying, oh, that's not what he said. And the reason they're saying that is they're saying, oh, we think he said shithouse and not shithole. But, yeah. Anyway, he's... Uh, but did you see there was a, there was a um, thing on um, one of the atheist pages on Facebook... And it had um, – because he had made the point, he says, why don't people – why aren't we getting more people from Norway over here into America? And they had a list of what was in – Norway was on offering and then they had a list of whether or not it was offered in the United States. And they had all these green ticks down the left column and all these red crosses down the right column. Mm -hmm. And they said, why would any self-respecting Norwegian want to come to this shithole? You know? <laughs> <laughs> yep, that's right. So um, actually I had some friends just come back from Scandinavia on holiday. Ch one of their children is living over there with a partner. Mm. And um, I think it was Finland they were. And they said that the people over there are just miserable, very unfriendly, miserable sort of The Finnish people, people yeah. 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 Really? I, yeah. Couldn't, I, I couldn't agree with them on that because um, when I was in Helsinki, which was only for two days. Yep. But I found everyone there was really friendly. Okay. What time of year was that? Yeah. It was in winter. Yeah. yeah. Okay. Well, do they suffer from that? What do they call it? Um, cabin fever or whatever? No. Um, you know, when, when it's cloudy all the time? Um, That's sunlight what, deprivation syndrome well, or something? That was the theory. It, that... wouldn't it wouldn't surprise me because it does get very dark very early. Yeah. Like at 3.30 the sun goes down and that sort of stuff and then it's up at sort of quarter to eight in the morning. Yeah, but and, so and yet Finland is often held up as a sort of almost a model of uh, secular progressivism, mm. isn't it? Absolutely, it is. Yeah, mm. yeah. It, its schools are its schools are it's amongst the best in the world. System. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. yeah absolutely. These particular friends thought that they were a miserable bunch, but that was just one couple's experience. So, mm. uh, take that on board. I haven't known a lot of Finnish people, but the ones I've met seem pretty pretty okay to me. Mm. Uh, just back to Donald Trump. Uh, he says he's not a racist. And he's been saying it a lot. No, no, I'm not a racist. I am the least racist person you have ever interviewed. That I can tell you. So here's the story, folks. Uh, number one, 
I am the least anti-Semitic person that you've ever seen in your entire life. Number two, racism. The least racist person. I am the least racist person that you'll ever meet. I am the least racist person that you've ever met, believe me. The least racist person. I am the least racist person that you have ever met. I am the least racist person. I am the least racist person that you've ever met. I am certainly the least racist person. I'm probably the least racist person on earth. I want to tell you, I am the least racist. I am a wonderful person as far as you would be concerned as to race. And I think everybody that knows me knows that. The more you hear it, the less convincing it is. (laughs) I think he doth protest too much. (laughs) Spot on there, Scott. (laughs) Indeed. Yeah. Uh, He's just got the same line. And often when Trump talks, he'll say something and then he'll follow it up with, believe me. And Mm. I think it's because he knows he's lying. He's just selling you a story. He's saying, believe me. Mm. But just the more you listen to that, the, the less you are likely to believe him and it's a strange turn of phrase to say the least racist. Like you would just say, I'm not racist. But to claim to be the least racist? Is he a bit like yeah. the you know, sort of early 20th century sort of circus showman who would show up with um, you know, a troop of freaks and uh, you know, they would often say things like that, wouldn't they? Believe me, that I, you've I, never seen no. a freak like this one before, ladies and gentlemen. He, he was at that circus, but he... He had a little van selling snake oil. That, that's, the, that's the one he was. Exactly. And, yeah. of course, the snake oil salesperson, yep. uh, to use the non-gendered uh, sort of term, yeah. uh, would absolutely want his, uh, his audience to believe him that the snake oil will cure whatever ails them. Yeah. Mm. yeah. So it's the same sort of kind of language, isn't it, that he uses. Mm. But I find him the least credible... Uh, elected official I've seen in many, many years. Mm. Um, you, a couple of weeks ago, sent me an article about Myanmar. Did I? Yeah. And I said, well, I'll put that to the side that until one? you're next on oh, the podcast. Oh, I, I recall, yeah. yeah. I sent it to you because I had a, a deep objection to the the tone of the uh, article. And it was written by a um, an NGA wor- NGO worker, wasn't it? Yeah, published on ABC website. Mm. And there have been a few of those of late. Yeah. And just decrying our uh, Australians' lack of morals when it comes to mm. refugees and... Our lo- lack of moral fibre. Yeah. There's no easy solution there, I'm afraid. Um, oh, it says here... Um, uh, no, I'm not going to read it. It's just too depressing. We just can't do enough for some people. You know, some people uh, seem to think... I mean, the government, whether, whether true or not, the government keeps reminding us that, as a country, we we take in our fair share of refugees. I, well, according to them, I don't know how true it is, but we, t- we certainly... What, what is the figure of refugees we take in per I don't year know. as a country? I don't know. It's in the tens of thousands, I think, isn't I, it? I don't know. It's... 20,000 a year, I believe, is the latest number. And that was uh, Abbott beating his chest saying that we're going up from 12,000 to 20,000 because we've stopped the boats and that sort of stuff. We can afford to take in 8,000 more people a year. Okay. I don't know whether or not he's full of it or not, Mm. but that's the number that are are taken in each year. 
20,000 on a population of 20 million, that's one in a thousand. But my, my main objection to the article and similar articles is it, it plays on this idea that uh, if they can arouse enough feeling of guilt and, um, you know, for, for living in a... for, you know, being fortunate enough to live in a very decent, you know, prosperous, peaceful country, uh, we should feel guilty about everybody on earth who isn't as lucky as us. And we should I'm open, glad open our doors that. to all, all those people who are less fortunate than ourselves. I'm, I'm glad you said that because that was the feeling I got reading the article was that um, we're to feel guilty about the society we have developed down here and that everyone else should be feeling righteously aggrieved about being left out of our society. Or that and they... I think that... Sorry, Scott, go ahead. No, go on. I was, I've no, finished. I was just going to say, and, and it's, it's almost as if uh, we should feel that everybody else has a right to come here. Do you not get that feeling? Yeah. It's a bit of the sort of... I did get... The Greens... The sure, Greens it was... Line, it was you know, that it, we but... should accept all comers. Anybody who can show up on a boat or by whatever God. means should yeah. be welcomed. I'd, I'd just like to know Which what... I find ridiculous because the Greens have also got a population policy that says that they want the population to be somewhat smaller than what it is now. So, you know, what are they going to do there? Are they going to ban us from naturally producing down here because so that we can t- make room for all these migrants? You know, I... that's the thing I find ridiculous. Yeah. yeah, the people who argue against stopping the boats and that, I just would like to say, ask them, okay, what's what's the... What's the maximum we can take? What's that figure? Just, you know, is it 100,000, 200,000, a million, 2 million, million, 4 million? Tell me, where is the figure that, we, that you say we stop? Because, A, these people um, just seem to always refuse to acknowledge that there will be a flood of boats if we stop what we're doing. Like it just, it's just it would, the way it'll work. It would grow, so, uh, what's the term? Geometric? Exponentially. Exponentially. It seriously would. So they refuse to acknowledge that. They seem to think, well, there's just a few people. If we just take the Rohingyas, for example, and the ones on Nauru, and it'll all be over and done with and no. happy days, it, it fails to acknowledge the the flood that will come in. It would be and an absolute tsunami. So the question then is, well, okay, how many of you... Is there a limit? Are you prepared to limit it at all? And then wherever that limit is, if it's 2 million, 3 million, what do you say to the other 10 million then who want to come in after that? That's, that's the thing I'd like to really ask these people is, where is where's the cut-off point on all this? There isn't one. Because um, it's... They, they refuse to acknowledge the difficult. It'd be easy to say, like I think we'd all agree, that if, if for example, uh, everyone on Nauru and all the Rohingyas, take them all in, if that was the end of the matter, everyone would say, okay, done. How but many it's, Rohingyas it's, are there? I There's... don't know, but 
if if that was the end of the matter, people would well, there's say... Well, 600,000 in Bangladesh right now, so, you know, that's a portion of their well, population. Even if we and, and rounded it off at a million, yep. say Australia takes a million refugees, yep. uh, as you say, what about the other... How many million refugees are there currently in the world? I think it's in the tens 10 million? of a million. No, it's, it's many more than 10 million. Yeah. Is it? Okay. Oh, I'm pretty I sure, yeah. I thought it was only 10 million. Yeah, anyway. Yeah. So... Um, so yeah, what is the cutoff limit? And you know, at what point? How many do you reckon we can take before our society changes fundamentally? And exactly. are you prepared to accept that, that, is, that change? That is one of the things that I think that uh, the people who are arguing for an open door haven't thought about. They haven't thought about what it's going to do to our society to have an open door of people just arriving willy nilly. Right. 12th man's done a quick Google, 65.3 million okay. yep. refugees currently in the world, yeah. Okay, so we're going to take 65.3 million of them. That gives us a population down here of 85 million. Yeah, well, we're not. Yeah. We're, you know, we're going to be knocking back even the most generous of these people who are in favour of opening our borders. Mm. Even the most generous are still going to acknowledge that there's going to be yeah. 50 million who we are going to refuse. And, and not only that, but a, a lot of people that are pro- probably associate with the Greens and similar um, mm. groups, they seem to think assimilation is a dirty word. And yet, you know, uh, imagine if even one million people arrived of different uh, community values, different ways of dealing with uh, problems and issues and conflicts arrived, mm. uh, we would have a parallel society in no time flat. And Plus, the people arguing in favour of more immigration are often uh, the urban elite who are in jobs mm. that won't be threatened by this influx of people. Yeah. So, you know, if you're an Uber driver or a taxi driver or a lawnmower or something, a cleaner Factory of, of, of office buildings yeah. or whatever, you're yeah. the ones who are in Any danger of, the... of, of losing economically as a result. The people who are advocating for this, journalists, you know, there could be three million refugees come in and it's not going to affect their job. So you've got to have some skin in the game it's you know it's a virtue signaling exercise Absolutely. and um it's paying scant attention to the ultimate outcomes down the track yeah yeah look there's nothing wrong with having compassion obviously mm. and we all have it but we have to be realistic and uh if you if you want <laughs> that's why australia, i'm grateful i'm not the one making the decision <laughs> that's right if you want australia to continue to be prosperous and and a healthy, vibrant democracy, if I can put it that way, uh, in, a, in a position where we can actively reach out and help a certain number of people, less fortunate than ourselves, then we have to maintain the very social conditions that perpetuate that prosperity and social peace mm. and harmony. And, uh, you know, if we, if we tip the balance in another way, then we may not be able to help in the way that we can now. Mm. Um, mm. And look, you know, what's wrong with uh, wanting to protect the the very 
good, peaceful nature of Australian society mm. from influences that may change it for the worse, you know, may change it in ways that we would not welcome. Yeah. Yep. Oh, guys, what are you doing on the 14th of March this year? Got anything on? 14th of March? Um, yeah. I think... Uh, a podcast, isn't that, the, isn't that the date that we're going to that um, thing at the... Well, anyway, I can't remember. Paul, that date that we're going to the... Um... There is some talk on, isn't there? You're busy. Yeah, on, there is some talk. You're busy on the 14th yeah. of March. I don't know. I don't know. Well, well, could be. There's a conference on the Gold Coast. More money for ministry. It's just... <laughs> A stewardship summit, two thousand and eighteen. I think I know where this is going. It's uh, it's going to be uh, it's going to be at four different venues in Sydney, Melbourne, Perth, and the Gold Coast. And you can register now. There's a link to the website. Welcome to the stewardship summit, two thousand and eighteen. The goal of the summit is to raise up fully funded churches that are released to do the ministry that God has called them to do. I've got a little clip here. Of, uh, of their sort of promo clip. Hi there, I'm Alex Cook from Well for Purpose, a ministry that's been set up to help you significantly increase the level of giving in your church. Here's a question for you. How is your church doing financially? Over the last four years, we've helped many churches across the nation significantly improve their level of giving and to manage their finances more effectively so they can focus on the vision that God has given them. So I'd love to tell you about our upcoming Stewardship Summit, where really the key purpose of this summit is very simple. What we want to do is help you and other church leaders to build financially healthy churches. And really there's three key things we want you to get out of this summit. The first thing is we want you to have more money for ministry. You see, I believe that God has given each church specific uh, activities and a specific vision that you need to fulfill. And all of that takes money it takes resources and so the first part of the summit is about helping you have more money for that ministry activity the second thing we want to do is help you steward your existing resources more effectively whether that's your budget uh, whether that's uh, your buildings and other resources that god has given you we want you to manage that as effectively as possible um, for him and then the third thing we want to do is help you to equip your members to become better stewards of the resources that god has given them you see these days, 50% of the population live month to month, and we're now the third most indebted household on the planet. So many of our members... It goes on and on. This didn't happen 10, 20 years ago in Australia, did it? Tell me, please. It probably did, but it probably was not on your radar. I think this sort of thing's been going on forever in churches, Trevor. People uh, scrounging for money, you know... It, as openly and as blatantly and as yeah, but that's that's the question I have: is was it as blatant that you know? Because this is this guy coming out and saying, "Oh, we can get you to screw more money out of your congregants," you know. I, I suspect perhaps not as in in such an organised fashion in Australian churches, but there's mm-hmm. always been you know the, for, for decades these American evangelists who fly in on a plane, have a big rally in the mm-hmm. capital cities of Australia pass around the buckets for donations and they literally fly out with buckets of Australian money. Yes, the Billy Grahams of the world. Exactly. Um, and the Benny Hins. I just think it's uh, an example of the Americanization of, of religion. our religious groups 
and they're just following the template that's going on over there, and it's not a isn't, good one. Isn't the language in, intriguing? It, it's, mm. it's, it's almost feudalistic in its mentality, isn't it, that there are kings yes. and lords that all the plebs, which is most of us, are supposed to bow down to, worship, give to, follow... Um, as disciples, as disciples, you know, yes. it's it's a very feudal mentality and, and a creation of a king of your own kingdom and oh your own ministry God. that you're building up like a business. It's um, it's bizarre. Yeah, it's bizarre. It's pretty. There ugly. was uh, what about Trump's spiritual advisor, Scott? Did you see that one? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I read that one. <laughs> <laughs> she is. Uh, bra- she's she's brazen, if she? nothing else, isn't she? Yeah, yeah. She's appalling. I mean. Give me money or suffer consequences, you know. Yeah. It really, um, you know, the TV evangelist Paula Wright, Trump's spiritual advisor, tells followers to give money or suffer the consequences. You know, it, it's really, she's taken the prosperity gospel and she's put it on steroids, hasn't she? You know. Um, it almost sounds like gen- a criminal racket, you know. Give us money or suffer the consequences. Well, it does. You know, I mean, oh, this line, each January I put God first and honour him with the first of our substance by sowing a first fruits offering of one month's pay. That is a big sacrifice, but it is seed for the harvest. I am believing that I, uh, that I am believing for the coming year and God always provides. Mm. You know, that is prosperity gospel mm. at its worst. I love the agricultural terminology. <laughs> yes. Yes. <laughs> So yeah, that's, she's uh, she's an appalling individual, isn't she? Yeah. So that's uh, Trump's spiritual advisor, and she's read the playbook. Um, yeah, absolutely. Now a couple that uh, I hadn't given to you uh, before, Scott, and um, mm-hmm. uh, um, talk man, make no comment here, but um, I get a chance to talk about submarines, Scott. <laughs> did you did you know that India? has a $3 billion nuclear submarine? No, I didn't know that. Okay. Just here's a quiz for you, Scott. You've got a $3 billion submarine, okay? And and you're going to submerge your submarine. What's the number one thing you should make sure before you submerge? That it can... Filter out the carbon dioxide, I suppose. <laughs> no, a bit more basic than that. Okay, um, but it doesn't leak? Uh, well, close. Uh, you know, as you're about to submerge, the, dear listener, the number one thing to make sure is that you've actually closed the hatch. <laughs> oh, no. Yes. Oh, good God. Yes, an article here. Um Their sub is out of commission because when they uh, went to submerge, they didn't check that all of the hatches were closed and, funnily enough, got inundated with the water and knocked out a whole lot of really expensive things. (laughs) So uh, Bloody hell. So that's... uh, That's a major stuff up, that is, isn't it? Yeah. It's only a... Look, they had a cheap one. You know, their submarine is $3 billion, uh, $2.9 billion. You know, ours are going to be 4.16. So, uh, so that was a cheap one in the scheme of things. It could have been worse. Hopefully our sailors will be taught to close the hatch when, our sh- when ours eventually arrives. Uh, one would have thought so. Yes. 
Now, here's another one. Uh, there's this rich guy, article about a rich guy in Brazil, one of the richest guys in Brazil. Um, had a, uh, a very fancy Bentley um, motor vehicle, which he decided to bury in his backyard so that he could drive it in the afterlife. Seriously? Hmm. Okay. <laughs> Fane Chiquinha Scarpa made waves when he announced plans to bury his million-dollar Bentley so he could drive around the afterlife in style. He received lots of media attention and was criticised for the extravagant gesture. Why wouldn't he donate the car to charity? How out of touch with reality is this guy? He still went ahead with the ceremony. But there was a twist. Moments before lowering the car into the ground, he revealed his genuine motive, which was to create awareness for organ donation. He said, People condemn me because I wanted to bury a million-dollar Bentley. In fact, most people bury something a lot more valuable than my car. They bury hearts, livers, lungs, eyes and kidneys. This is absurd. So many people waiting for a transplant and you will bury your healthy organs that will save so many lives. What a clever character. What a great stunt. Did he go ahead and bury it was, the car? No, it was just all to get the media there and to make the point. Well made. Really That was well very made. well done. Yeah, that was really well done. Mm. Yeah, good point. Maybe the Indians were trying to make some sort of point when they... Um, Submerge their sub with the hatch open. <laughs> maybe that was just a media stunt as well. Yeah, maybe. I, I don't, I'm not sure what yeah. the point they were making is. I don't know either. But this guy kicked off Brazil's National Organ Donation Week with that little stunt. It was a very sort of Dick Smith sort of thing to do, wasn't it? Yeah. Okay, and here's the next one, which... Now, this is not fake in any way. Like, there's no twist in this one. This just it starts off bad and just stays bad. So... Um, <laughs> This is from The Telegraph in the UK, um, and it says, Women who identify as men, so transgender, are not being routinely offered potentially life-saving National Health Scheme screening for breast and cervical cancer amid fears it might offend them, it is claimed. So if you are born a woman, convert to being a man and you register as a man with your GP, then you will not get the normal offerings of uh, breast and cervical cancer screenings that you would get had you just remained a woman. Sounds bad. On the other hand, men living as women are being invited for cervical smear tests, even though... They do not have a cervix. An official guidebook states. Sometimes you find some good ones, Trevor. <laughs> Actually, um, men squeaky, fact, wheel, squeaky Wheel found this. She comes across lots of stuff on her men, Facebook. Men can get breast cancer, though. They could, but... Well, they can and they y- do yes, sometimes. So, but check everyone, you know. So, but I've never met... Well, anyone who was born a male... Just doesn't have a cervix, so that goes without saying, doesn't it? <laughs> You'd think it, it does. Uh, um, it's quite 
I mean, so this... you've got these transgender women who were born men, became women, and they go in for a scrape every well, they've been invited months, to. Or they're a... the, you know, they've okay. been invited to. They get they get the warnings and the booklets and stuff. So, so but why? Yeah. Is it well, political Because they don't correctness? want to cause offence because somebody was now, you know, um, a... somebody is now identifying as a woman, so they so want to provide all of the normal features. Yes. They go into the, into the list. Yes. But on the other hand, if you're a woman who's transgendered across to being a man <laughs> you you, and you're registered as such, then you don't get it. But the woman that's transgendered over to a man... Yes. He, he can still end up with cervical cancer, can he? Uh, yes, though they're not... Uh, yeah, yes, well, presumably if the cervix is still there, I don't know if it gets removed in the process or not. Um, I couldn't tell you. I, yeah. it, uh, I think it's a case of life imitating art, actually. Uh, here we go. Why are you always on about women, Stan? I want to be one. <laughs> what? I want to be a woman. From now on, I want you all to call me Loretta. What? It's my right as a man. Well, why do you want to be Loretta, Stan? I want to have babies. You want to have babies? It's every man's right to have babies if he wants them. But you can't have babies. Don't you oppress me. I'm not oppressing you, Stan. You haven't got a womb. Where's the fetus going to gestate? You're going to keep it in a box? Here, I've got an idea. Suppose you agree that he can't actually have babies, not having a womb, which is nobody's fault, not even the Roman, but that he can have the right to have babies. Good idea, Judith. We shall fight the oppressors for your right to have babies, brother. Sister, sorry. What's the point? What? What's the point of fighting for his right to have babies when he can't have babies? It is symbolic of our struggle against oppression. Symbolic of his struggle against reality. Mm. <laughs> it does remind you of um, some activist groups around currently, doesn't it? Yeah, yeah. So there you go. Scott, you've done yes. some research on a couple of MPs for our IFVG Secular yes. Index. I have, and the first one there was Paul Fletcher. Now, I initially gave him a rating of five, but you came back with a, another one mm. suggesting that he was um, maybe a four, I think, because there was something that uh, Well, it seemed he, to me that he reluctantly accepted the plebiscite decision. So, right. you know, that thing that you came across where he spoke very favourably of the traditional view of marriage and the mm. Judeo-Christian tradition but said, well, you know, what my electorate says, I'll just I'll do what they tell me to do. Yeah, fair enough. Okay, and so then, we can bump him down I, there at a four. I found an article that, that that's showed he had an unhealthy interest in research grants about theology. Did you see that one? Yeah, I did see that one, and I sent that through to you this morning. That was the one, yeah. Yeah, yeah questions on notice, Australian Research Council grants to religious studies and theology. Um, I didn't know if that was enough to knock him down to a four or not, but um, anyway, I, I think that given had, that, plus the same-sex marriage thing, I think we can knock him down to a four. And he'd wanted yeah. a mandatory internet pornography filter. So just, you know, he's, he's, he's yeah. a 
religious nutbag just waiting to burst out there, I reckon. So we'll put him, he'll end up as a four on there. You can put him down at the three if you like, yeah. Okay. okay. And you have Nicole another... Flint, I put, I put her down at four. Uh, she got my hackles up when I read her maiden speech in which she said, I move this motion today having sworn my allegiance to Her Majesty the Queen, testament to the stability provided to our, of our constitutional monarchy and the Judeo-Christian principles of traditions that have made us one of the most respected, respectful and peaceful nations on earth. So I thought that in itself uh, would uh, drop her down to a four. Yep. Mike Freelander, he's the Labor member, and I couldn't find anything on this bloke. So if anyone out there contact the podcast, if they uh, know anything about him, let us know. But I'd say we're just putting down a neutral five. Was he Labor, was he? He was a Labor member, yeah. Yeah. He's he's only new. um, It was a Western Sydney seat that was won for the first time by the Labor Party since 1996. Right. Yeah. Okay. So we'll enter that in the index. Um, mm-hmm. Oh, look, we spoke last and week. And I'll do the next three next week. Very good. We spoke last week about the odds of uh, Trump getting back in in 2020 and the other likely candidates in a 2020 election. One of the yeah. sh- shorter-priced favourites was Oprah Winfrey, of all people. Yeah, I know, and I didn't realise just how nutty she actually was until I read this. Yeah. Oprah Winfrey helped create our American fantasy land. Mm. And, you know, take a read of it, ladies and gentlemen, because honestly, there is some nutty stuff in there. Like, you know, as I say, she's ecumenical promoter of fantasies. Remember the satanic panic, the mass hysteria of the 1980s and early 90s about Satanists abusing and murdering children that resulted in wrongful convictions, dozens of people who collectively spent hundreds of years incarcerated? You know, that sort of thing she previewed on her show. And then everyone's family favourite, The Secret. Do you remember that, gentlemen? Mm, yes. Yeah. The, Have you yeah, heard of The, the Secret? The law of attraction. You haven't heard of The Secret? No. Talk, man. Don't know. Ah. Oh, the, the Secret is, hell. is if you, whatever you want in life, 12th man, uh, you can pay to go to a seminar and you'll be told The Secret. And... Uh, Apparently, the gist of it is all you have to do is just believe that you can have whatever it is that you want and just put all doubt out of your mind and convince yourself that you can have it. And that's the secret. So you've been? So, no, I've just read about it. And I met somebody who went, who went to, I think, the secret. Really? And who actually was paid re- money to yeah, go to that. Yeah, and it said it was a really moving experience. Like, he burst into tears you know, during it. Yeah, I mean, they, they're very manipulative, these people. Yeah. I mean, they really can push all of the necessary buttons and mm-hmm. take you on a journey to a point where you just can't believe you got there. Yeah. Um, and The Secret was very successful at one point. Yeah. So. And what's Oprah's yeah. connection with that? Oh, she... She um, plugged it on her show. Oh, so she's participated and, in it. And all sorts of snake oil. Oh, she, 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 and she's, um, she's had Rhonda Byrne, who's a secrets um, author, on the program, and she's emphatically placed the canon by Winfrey as soon as it was published a decade ago. I've been talking about this for years on my show, Winfrey said, of the author's multiple appearances on Oprah. I just never called it the secret. You know, it's... 
when you load up all that sort of nonsense, then you think to yourself, nah, she's not right for the president of the free world. No, she believes in a lot of wacky pseudoscience. Uh, Absolutely. Spiritualism stuff. Yeah. Even, even if she doesn't agree, even if she doesn't believe in it, she has given it a voice. Mm. You know, um, the anti-vaxxers, probably the worst that she's done. But, um, you know. But that's that her it. thing, isn't it? That's her thing, is, is giving voice to anything a little bit sensational, attention-grabbing. That's her, that's her whole thing, isn't it? That's yeah. what she's well, good I, at. Well, I would have thought so, yeah. She presents wacky ideas, well, wacky or whatever, to the common people. Particularly if it's got an element of just, you know, you can have the American dream. Mm. Here's how you do it easily. Yeah. Uh, in, Just believe in, in yourself. In a quick soundbite, yeah. So she's behind that. Mm. The other one we looked at in terms of odds, Scott, as we're going down the list, was um, we saw the name Dwayne Johnson. Isn't that and, and I was, Nick Curios's brother? No. <laughs> no, he's, no, he's not. But <laughs> you're right. Like he looks like Nick Curios with a bald head. No, but you know, yeah, I know Nick Curios' brother. His brother is bald. Who, yeah. who they often show in the audience yeah. uh, when Nick's playing. Yeah, it looks very similar to this guy. Yeah. So, um, and I said to you, Dwayne Johnson, is that the Rock? It could possibly be the Rock as know. a presidential candidate, and he actually is, Seriously. Uh, dear listener, a, he's a presidential candidate or a very, you know. It's, what it's more than just a potential. Is a potential presidential candidate? Well, yeah, Ronald. What do you mean? He's an actor. Oh, That's all you need actor. to do. Oh, yeah, see. he's a movie actor. Don't know yeah. him. No. So um, uh, he's contemplating running for president of the United States, and uh, when asked, he's you know why he said, "quote to serve the people and create a better environment for them," mm. which is great. I think. Sounds positive. Yeah, except the only thing is uh, they're speculating about when he would run and it turns out he couldn't do the 2020 um, uh, candidacy because he's just got, he's got too many movies to make, so we'd have to wait to 2024. Mm. Honestly, if your motivation is to serve the people and create a better environment for them, you say, oh, but I can't do it at the moment. I've got a couple of movies to make. Mm. Really? Yeah, but see, if he's if he's running for the Republicans, that would suit them nicely because um, Trump will be ready to lose the twenty twenty election, and they won't need a Republican candidate. So then, in twenty twenty four, they will need a Republican candidate. Trump won't even run, I tell you. In twenty twenty, no, <laughs> why not? He doesn't want the job. He didn't want it in the first place. He's just going. You, know, you don't think the job's grown on him? No. <laughs> <laughs> Man, you've got to listen to some of our podcasts before you rock up here. I know you haven't listened to them. Your dodgy internet connection is no excuse. Mm. So, Um, uh, Macquarie Dictionary Word of the Year. You're a student of English, a teacher of English. It's an odd one, isn't it? Yeah. Milkshake duck. Mm. Yeah. It doesn't gel with me at all. I read the article and I couldn't understand why the hell it... Stood out so much. I, I mean, couldn't either. For the life of me, I couldn't understand why why it, it, it attracted so much attention. So, a milkshake yeah. duck refers to the phenomena where uh, somebody bursts onto the scene, and everybody loves that person for whatever it is. But very quickly afterwards, something is discovered about that person, and then everybody hates them. So, you know, a guy is at a political rally, member of the crowd. 
asks a question of a politician, um, you know, what about my poor kids, uh, my wife's, you know, dying and you're going to, you know, shut down Obamacare, you know, how am I going to survive? And says it quite eloquently and everybody goes, oh, good on you, man, that's yeah. Joe, Joe the carpenter from Arkansas, you know, and everybody loves Joe and he's, you know, he's on a morning show or something like that for the next mm. couple of days and he's a viral internet sensation and then somebody does a bit of investigating on his Facebook feeds and turns out he's a neo-Nazi or something like and everybody hates him. So, so, so that's what milkshake duck refers to and it came from a guy who he just came up with a term on a tweet where he said, the whole internet loves milkshake duck, a lovely duck that drinks milkshakes. Five seconds later, we regret to inform you, the duck is a racist. So, uh, so it came from this guy's tweet. I'll... Thing. But anyway, so when somebody is burst onto the scene and then quickly falls out of favour, mm. milkshake, duck. Let's hope it doesn't happen to the Iron Fist you know, <laughs> when you finally break through. <laughs> at, at least when people say he's been milkshake ducked, we'll all know what, what's happened. <laughs> <laughs> I've said something sensible and I'll get people, oh, that's great. And then they'll, they'll have scrolled through about half a dozen back episodes and they've gone, Oh, no, this guy hates refugees and Aboriginals. Oh, he hates everyone. I'll, I'll yeah. be misquoted. Most of all, he hates religious people. Yeah, I'll be misquoted, so, yeah. Uh, time to thank our patrons. Good on you, Ayame, James, Selena, Tony, Steve, Brett, Sean, Alex, Alison, Wano, Jason, Grant, John, Craig and Janelle. Thanks for being patrons. A couple of new ones have come on board Um Really appreciate that. Uh, Thank you very much. We do appreciate it. One of our new um, patrons was Tony, who left a little message. It starts off with, greeting, fist, glove and man. I like that. He's left out the first, but he's he's on the board. But we all know who he's talking about. We do. I'm working my way (laughs) through the back catalogue and enjoying it immensely. Your discussions contain the kind of intelligence and fluid thinking with a touch of irreverence that I've been looking for in a local content podcast. Keep up the good work. That's nice. Mm, Absolutely. Yeah. Uh, Tony, if you're just be careful with going through too much of the back catalogue because uh, we did have a listener with a bit of a problem at one stage. I'll just remind people of uh, what problem. Thanks for seeing me, Doc. Um, I started listening to the Iron Fist and Velvet Glove, you know, just once a week to take the edge off. And now I can't stop. I'm downloading and listening to back copies almost every day. I need your help, please. (laughs) Thanks for the problem. (laughs) That is a danger of going through the, the back. (laughs) <laughs> catalogue <laughs> <laughs> yeah thank you very much what problem yeah yeah so uh so anyway to all of our patrons uh here's a message from all of the listeners who are not patrons Did I- And finally, if I, you know, to really motivate you to come on board and become, you know, a patron, just remember the story of the psychopathic chickens. I mean, do you want to be the psychopathic chicken, or do you want to be one of the cooperative chickens? 
And those of you who have listened, and the 12th man is looking befuddled. You've got no idea what I'm talking about. No. Paul, I haven't really got this to You need to start It wasn't that long ago. You need to start working through that back catalogue. You're going to miss out on all the in jokes. Oh, dear. Yeah. <laughs> uh, <laughs> oh, what are we up to? I reckon uh, that'll probably do us a couple of other little ones there, but. We can do them another time, I think, unless you guys had anything drastic that you wanted to put. Twelfth Man, for your homework, um, you've got to you've got to use my internet connection now. Download all of these episodes that you've missed out on because of your dodgy internet at home, and be fully up up to speed next time we meet. Mm. So, dear listener, hope you've enjoyed it. Um, We'll be back again next week for episode 131. We'll talk to you then. Thank you very much for listening. Bye now. See you, listeners. Well, dear listener, did you enjoy that episode of the podcast? If you did, I've got a favour to ask. Uh, First up, tell some friends. Let them know about the podcast. You'll be discussing something at some time, and you might be repeating something I've said. And when you're talking to your friends, say, hey, I heard this on this podcast and it's worth listening to. And maybe pick an episode that you think's a good one and direct them to it. Like grab their phone and go to their podcast app and search for Iron Fist Velvet Glove and subscribe <laughs> on their behalf on their phone and, uh, and just put the word out. The other thing is you could become a patron and support the show. So if you... Go to our website, you'll see a link to Patreon and there are some different options for subscribing and paying per episode and really the amount that you pay depends on what you get from the podcast. So there's different levels ranging from $1.50 Australian to I think $10 and various ones in between. It's really what do you think it's worth? Is it worth a cup of coffee? Uh, Is it worth... More than that, less than that, whatever you get out of it, because not everybody gets the same. Maybe you don't listen to the whole thing. Maybe you never talk about it with people. Maybe you really couldn't care less half the time whether the podcast is there. It just it'll be different for everybody. So if you get a lot out of the podcast, contribute a bit more. If you don't get much, contribute less. But in any event, you can subscribe there. If you don't like the idea of a regular subscription, the website has a link to a PayPal donation, so you could just do a one-off donation every now and again. So there you go. It'd be good to uh, spread the word, get a few more listeners, and that way, look, if we ended up getting more listeners and more money, we could do maybe a second episode or more special episodes, provide some more content. So it's up to you. If you think it's worthwhile, let people know. Thanks. Thanks.